Thursday, January 27th, and you're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you the delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. It's episode 235. How's it going, fellas? It's great. great. You said your last uh, name right, finally. Thank you. I, uh, I, I, kind of, I kind of waited for a moment to say with myself if I was going to do that right, but... Uh, I'm I'm growing. It's it's a growth opportunity for me to say my name correctly and and leave my immaturity behind me of making fun of you endlessly forever. So <laughs> you should be proud. That's 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 the growth <laughs> opportunity that's in front of me on this day. Uh, like speaking of on get, this day, uh, Joe Onisic back on the phone, uh, back on the podcast, just to have a conversation about how mispronounced last names can be and whether or not uh, the individual should care. That seems like a good. Idea. I actually have a conversation with with him and uh, and his CEO next week. Dude, uh, um, like bring time. it up. Every Wait a minute. Away. Yours is? Yeah, man. People can't get Bewley. Oh, is it say Bluey? Bluey. Is it Bluey? <laughs> they want to put an R in it and all kinds of stuff. All right, we Bueller. got a short show. What were you saying on this day? <laughs> uh, well, we have uh, we have a couple of. Uh, this day's yesterday in tech history, and I'm going to make Aaron guess for once. Okay. Let's see. We let me see if wh- which one's the best one. Although I will say I'm I'm quite a fan of of one of these for sure. Okay. We're going to go with. Uh, we'll just go with the top one. Can I give you an excuse first? Can I can I tell the people that I had 103 fever last night and my ears are ringing and the room is spinning right now? So all right. I mean, I, so I wouldn't tell them that, or unless you just did. Here's here's the thing though. We usually get these wrong. So maybe this sort of off-course version of Aaron Bluey will uh, will maybe actually course correct you to the right Bluey. the right date. So, January 26th, Compact Computers purchases Digital Equipment Corporation, otherwise known as DEC, for 9.6 billion dollars. What? They were doing things yep. with a B back then? B. Wow. Billion. Digital That's or DEC a was a pioneering company in the early history of computers from the 1960s to the 1980s. Unfortunately, as seen with many companies, there were they were slow to recognize the rise in the PC, which ultimately led to the sell-off of all the company's business units, culminating in the final sale to Compaq. Compaq itself was eventually merged with HP. Yeah. I'm going to guess yeah. 90. It's early 90s. I was going to say 92. Thought. Yeah. I, yeah. I was probably going to say, I'll say 90. I'll say 93. Tyler's going to say 92. But then I'm Man. curious because in the title, he said until the late 80s. But was that their dominance that stopped or because they stopped being an independent entity? Well, like I can the answer 80s? that part for you. Um, <laughs> all dominance stopped in the 80s as far as I'm concerned uh, because the yeah, 80s yeah. were the dominant decade. Um, the year, however, um, the winner is Mr. Bluey. Uh, 1998. So going with the the price is right, one dollar more approach. Classic price is right. That's right. He pulled it off. Way to do it. Okay, there's one more. I got to go through it because I hate it. I'm mad at it. I'm mad at looking at it, but we're gonna go through it. So Lotus goes on sale this day, January 26th this year. The Lotus Development Corporation releases Lotus One Two Three for IBM computers. While not the first spreadsheet program, Lotus was also able to develop 123 because of the creators of VisiCalc. The first spreadsheet did not patent their software. The first spreadsheet did not patent their software. That's a 
That's a bad look. Uh, one, two, three, outsold Visit Calc by the end of the year. Man, that sucks. Um, and two years later, Lotus Lotus bought out the assets of VisiCalc and hired its main creators as a consultant. Oh my goodness, that's and, and before we get into actually pretty that, funny. Now we have a better understanding for why digital media has such aggressive and awful protection. Because oh, yeah. back in the day, if you didn't file stuff correctly, you got wrecked. Well, dude, now you know what's funny if you is, like trip, fall, and make something, you can literally just destroy content from outer space. And, and only here, this. though, only in the United States. Well, I said that's not true. In China, yeah, this is what they do all the time. One of those books time. that uh, Bunks yeah, yeah. had it had me the, read. Yep. They talked about that how just AI yes, one. exactly the AI yeah. one. It, it was it was remarkable how much they just. You know how we, I mean, we talk about it all the time. And from an American point of view, the blatant copying is bad form. But from mm -hmm. theirs, it's expected behavior. It's like if you yeah, create yeah. something, someone else is going to copy it straight so up. So be prepared making for it that. better. <laughs> yep, exactly. So it this is, you know, this better, is better, more uh, interesting, easier to access, you name it. You know, apparently we were no different um, until, until these laws came in. Um, but, anyways, guessing the year. I'm going to go oh, 1981. Teeler Gates. Lotus. Uh, mm -hmm. um, spreadsheets. Sold to IBM. Ooh. And well, we're guessing when they were sold to IBM. Is that right? Or something? That's like that. correct. Yeah. One, two, three. Oh, oh so yeah, we're not, sold, not sold. guessing when they released one, two, three. We're, we're no, sold, sold, to, sold to IBM. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, like 89. Yeah. I'm going to guess later, later 80s then. I'll say 86. Okay, well, you're gonna win either way, Bluey. Um, it was '83. Uh, yeah. So '83 is uh, is the year. Uh, the reason why I don't Sorry, like Lotus is because of actually because of Lotus Notes. Uh, yeah. I used to have sync Lotus Notes to Blackberries for email and stuff back in the day. Not a fan. Didn't like it. Glad that's not a thing anymore. But uh, yeah, that's why I don't like it. Anyways, yeah. Uh, let's move on to. Uh, the new ads. Yeah, I got one for you. Oh, oh, you. The, the book, by the way, is called AI Superpowers. Ah, um, uh, yes. For for those wondering, and it was it which was, was fascinating. Good. I highly yeah, recommend it. It was really good. Go ahead. We got Bluey. Yeah, yeah. So this was yesterday, uh, January twenty sixth. Jean Logie Baird demonstrates TV on January twenty sixth. What year? Whoa. He was a Scottish inventor. He gave the first public demonstration of a true television oh. system in London. Well, this can't launching a revolution in communication and entertainment. This can't be accurate because everything was invented in the U.S. So TV was in the U.S. <laughs> um, I, I, you know what? I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna go with. <laughs> it's always the twenties. Uh, but it could no, be that it was early, TV, right? I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna say as opposed to like forty-five. I don't. Okay. When? What's the towards the end of the war? Like, like film and TV. Can we? Can I get? A, can I get a, a little assistance? What's the difference between oh, television? Just get. Just give your year. Oh come on. <laughs> um, uh, let's go thirty-two. Uh, nineteen twenty-six. Damn it! The one time. Actually, that's the not one time I'm he scared of the twenties now. I'm scared of them. So I literally just crazy. added ten years. <laughs> what's crazy about this is he, that's he awesome. based his work. He based the, his television on the work of a German scientist, Paul Nipkow, who patented his ideas um, for for this concept in 1884. 
Wow. wow. And this other guy in 1884, he used a rotating disc with holes in it to scan images, but never achieved more than the crudest of shadowy pictures. Hmm. So, anyway. Hey, speaking of shadowy well. pictures, I didn't drop a link in the show notes, but I saw something really cool. And now I'm going to butcher what the history was. But um, staff at, at one of the, I think it was one of the radio telescopes, one of the big ones around the world. And again, apologies, don't have the link in front of me. But, um, they put up a pinhole camera. Uh, it was actually in a beer can um, eight <laughs> years ago. Eight years ago. And it, it took what is considered, or at least they believe to be, the longest continuous exposure picture known to, to mankind today, um, which is cool. And it, it, it just it has arcs of the sun, but it has you know thousands of them because it was, it was you know, sitting there for... I think it's eight years in a month. They had the exact number of days, but I thought that was pretty crazy. And um, I guess the researcher that put it up there said, I was genuinely surprised that it came back good because small changes in the you know ambient um, uh, humidity can actually cause the, the photosensitive paper to like curl up. And so the fact that it was still intact is actually really cool. But it was uh, it was all planned, so they you know they put it up there and they intended to to actually pull it down in eight years and change. It was rather uh, precise experiments. Wow! Um, yeah, but then as I was reading like, it, that's like three thousand days. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, it was it was it's kind of cool. Look it up, and the the picture obviously is is pretty crude, um, but it it's still interesting. And I found out that in in the course of reading about it, that somebody is, I think I forget what they called it. It was like the Millennium photo something and it's supposed to take a continuous exposure of i don't know our solar system earth i forget what it was but for a millennia uh so obviously none of us will be around to actually see what that uh picture if you still call it a picture looks wait what like. is it a photo of i i forget what it was aimed at but it was i think it's like, like our solar system or, or some part of our galaxy yeah exactly yeah huh. um anyways it was an interesting little rabbit hole to to jump down well, and, can and we see random. the progress of it before we die? Even though it's like a thousand I don't know. year plan. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't dig too deep into that. I was just I, I was uh, surprised and interested that uh really epically long exposures is kind of like a thing that yeah. people talk about on the internet. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude, Russ, we we missed you on Tuesday. There was a bunch of like gaming news and I'm having trouble with my brain right now even remembering what some of that was. The, you're probably Activision. thinking about acquisitions and and the Activision. Yep. There's a couple there's a couple yeah. acquisitions that happened, right? Microsoft acquired yeah. Activision, which means Bobby Kotick is out, which is the greatest thing to happen to humanity. Uh, and then okay. and then there's also the ESL and Faceit acquisition for 1.5 billion dollars from like some someone in Saudi Arabia. I'm not not sure who. That was that was a off the wall one, but the Microsoft one. Which was they acquired Activision for like sixty billion dollars in cash, yes, straight yeah. cash, homie. You know, mm. like bigger, it's bigger than the Nvidia arm deal. Which remember, we were talking about, uh, right? It was like forty billion or something. Yeah, and it's also uh, bigger. Wasn't it bigger than the? I thought it was like sixty-eight billion or something, right? It was bigger yeah, than I think it was like is, I think it was like sixty-eight point seven or something, which yeah, was just it was, it was whatever Microsoft price. could find under their rug. Is what they they pulled <laughs> out to buy in cash, uh, which is you know I think that it's a little bit lower. I think Activision was valued somewhere around eighty or ninety billion before all of these scandals that have been going on. So they've been Activision's going been going through a tough spot. They 
they got hit with a significant amount of like corporate problems, meaning issues with frat fraternity like sort of culture within the company where women were treated poorly and you know people who weren't a part of the the boys club were just treated poorly in general and just all sorts of i mean stuff that i i I actually cannot repeat on our family friendly show i mean it's it's really bad some of the allegations are out there so they've been Bobby Kotick, who is their horrible CEO, um, who honestly, if you were someone who disliked capitalism, he would be your poster boy for why, because he's been in his role for at least 15 years, making $150 million a year. And the board kept him around because he was making them a billion plus dollars a year. But he's a horrible person and he's not a good leader. He really... Just especially in a creative industry, he really kind of choked the life out of really what made his company special for a while. And so people have wanted him gone for at least 10 years at at a minimum. And it's good to see that, you know, Microsoft is coming in. I think this is a positive. It's positive for a couple of things, right? Microsoft's coming in, um, throwing crazy cash at him, which Microsoft isn't even going to notice. And acquiring them on on the cheap relatively right they're saving 10 20 billion and and they're going to not have to do some of the stuff that you normally have to do in a acquisition or merger which is their culture is already broken and it's known and everyone knows like they've been firing like 30 <laughs> people a day for the last few weeks like it's crazy how bad it is and so it's like microsoft has a good opportunity to come in and immediately institute cultural changes because they they're desperately needed there's there's no we're going to keep the frat boy going stuff you know the frat house going and so that's one good thing the other one is it's just microsoft has been doing incredibly well with a lot of things one we've talked about satya nadella and how he's been running the company in general that's been he's obviously taken microsoft to to new heights over the last whatever it is seven or eight years that he's been the ceo but Microsoft has been killing it on like the game launch release stuff as well. I mean, Halo we've talked about, or at least we've talked about and played and, and not on the show. You and see there's a live action film of Halo coming out? It's a series, I believe, that's going to come oh. out. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's been a trailer for it. It looks pretty solid. Uh, Tyler, don't watch it. The, <laughs> you know, I won't. The, uh, the <laughs> Sometimes I watch uh, video game action. trailers. There, well, it uh, might be a teaser. A TV show. Yeah, there might, it's there still might be they still ruin it. But it was if you've opinion. if you ever seen their original live action work they did maybe fifteen ish years ago, you'll know that there's a lot of potential for this to go yes. really really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, they sorry anyway, their investment yeah. in Halo and esports has been incredible to the tune of five hundred million dollars. And so what they gain here that's super important to me is they already work with a company called Esports Engine for all of their Halo events, which are ran wonderfully. Esports Engine is actually ran by Adam Capella, who is the original creator of MLG, which was kind of the big esports circuit in North America for a while, in particular for console esports. And MLG is actually owned by Activision. So now Adam Capella and Esports Engine are going to be working with the MLG crew again to kind of start running some of the events for the CDL and the OWL, which is the uh, Call of Duty League and the Overwatch League. And we're, I'm really hoping that this means that there will be a change in, in, in kind of the focus that those get because 
there have been whatever it is, 10, 20 orgs, maybe 30 between the two leagues that have paid anywhere from 25 to $60 million for these leagues. And Activision and Bobby Kotick have basically been treating it as thank you for your money. Now, good luck. I mean, they haven't, they haven't really given them true time of day. I mean, the teams that work on them, of course, are putting in their all. But the company does not give them the appropriate resources. They don't treat it seriously. They don't have the game developers focus on making the game appropriate for a competitive league. So I'm really hoping that Microsoft can sort of steward this in the right direction. It wouldn't happen overnight, of course. But they've done a great job with Halo, so they have a track record for it. And... They they now have all the assets appropriate to kind of make this stuff uh, make this stuff run well. So well, it would be interesting to see what happens. But I think in general, this is an incredibly good thing for the future of of Activision titles in general. And the number one thing people were worried about was, you know, will Activision titles like Call of Duty not release on PlayStation now? And Microsoft's already came out and said that all of the existing franchises that have agreements with, uh, you know multi-platform releases they will continue and they will not take away now or in good. the future so that makes know, me happy it's, it's a good thing yep yeah that is smart that, is, that was my number one concern with acquisitions like that is is that it gives a behemoth with 60 billion dollars in cash to, to buy a horizontal you know part of the business i get it they've been in games for a while that's not quite fair but uh it it gives them a lot of weight to throw around to really mess with the likes of Sony. And it's nice to see that they aren't going to screw too badly with the uh, end user and what they're used to, uh, at least Will it be the same though? in the near term. Will what it be, be the same? same? The, the game we saw. So uh, what was the, what was the game? Yeah. Didn't it have like, I thought there was something too where it had major issues on Xbox for some reason and the game development just wasn't designed that's, to support it well. That's something. a different yeah. issue though. It's a, it, I mean, it's okay. not, it's not the same publisher yeah. or studio, right? Yeah, yeah. A different studio. Yeah. Their focus wasn't on the, the consoles and they basically ported it poorly as I understood. In particular, well, so it was the original question. Xbox. That was very underpowered compared to all the other consoles. That's the one. Oh, that's it's not even fair to hold hold against them. Then, jeez. I'm uh, in my opinion, the fact that it even turned on was impressive. I yeah, I'm I'm shocked that they allowed that, considering that I've heard some of that bad press too. Like they they ported it back to something that's ancient. Yeah, well, the, sorry, sorry, I I, I missed the original Xbox One. The original Xbox. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I follow because yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, I actually. Yeah, yeah played it briefly on it um I, I know what you were saying yeah i guess but that is worth ex- uh, the distinction this isn't like the the original you know brick like look this isn't from 2000 the big x on the top right um and it it was but it, it played i i didn't play it very much on the xbox one because i have your original xbox one um yep russ i remember or that maybe it's the slim it might be the slim i don't remember now i don't think it was i think you got your slim and and i got that yeah i think i got the slim and then you took my old one yep yep so um i saw that but it it's interesting that they got as much flack for that as they did then because that like i said that console is pretty long in the tooth yeah, you know, I think maybe they probably just shouldn't have released it for the original Xbox One, but I don't know how right. you do that whenever you release it for the Xbox One in general. Um, right. And, yeah, and, that's you a know, good point. You, there's no dis- but there's like, there's the Xbox One, there's the, um, the, like you said, the Slim, which is actually a better version 
of the Xbox One. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't have like bigger, better specs, but its die was shrunk down, which inherently makes it more uh, efficient yeah. and it makes it faster. Yeah, sure. And then yeah, there's the um, older. Yep. And then there's the Xbox One X, which is ironically from a GPU perspective, actually more powerful than the Xbox Series S that released five years <laughs> after that. So what? It, it's just a, yeah. So it's, it, you could like, in my opinion, most of the games going forward, once the, the numbers get up to it, should be made for the Xbox One X or the Xbox Series Series, meaning Series S or Series X. And so it, it's it'd be a little bit easier that way, I think, for the developers, but you know. They they have a lot of stuff they have to develop All for right, right now. Me, Honestly, most developments moving to PC anyways, so they may not care. Let me throw something new out there. Uh, throw it. So I have something you wanted to jump to, but um, Putin plans to tax and regulate crypto mining, confining it to regions with electricity surpluses, rejecting a central bank proposal to ban mining. We saw this about a week ago. Hey. Uh, yep. Where Ru- Russia's central bank was proposing the ban, uh, and apparently, Damn. you know, there was a lot of argument between that and uh, and Russia's government. And Putin came out and he said he absolutely supports Bitcoin mining um, with those um, those regulations in place. What do y'all think? Thank you for the further validation, Putin. We appreciate your support. Yep. <laughs> no, I, I think that's good news. I think uh, taxation regulation has to happen to to move this stuff forward. Um, and I I'd rather see it taxed and regulated than banned. So that's that's a a win, I guess. I don't know. Win, win seems like the wrong word. Um, it's a step in the right direction. Also, I just, I, I think banning it is going to end up being somewhat futile, right? Especially because it's global in nature and an individual Correct. obviously can impose a lot of pain into the system or trying to use cryptocurrency, but it, it doesn't seem like something that they're going to be able to keep up with or overcome, not just the hype, but the direction it's moving in so until uh, unless there's a giant consortium of you know global entities that all sort of simultaneously say nope then it's it's gonna so there's the key there's the key right there so this is something i and i you know Mm -hmm. we have our crypto chat that we do and i and i mostly just joke in it but here's here's how i truly believe and feel i equate crypto or blockchain or whatever you want to call it to a very similar type of evolution as the internet. And every single time someone comes out and says, we're going to ban this thing or do this thing, whatever, all it does is remind me of when people said they were going to ban the internet in certain countries as well. And if every single country in the world, or at least whatever, the the major powers in the world decide that they're all going to ban it, then absolutely, that is a a major threat to it. But as long as one doesn't, there will always be pressure on everyone else over the long term when it grows, Stop just it. like what happened with the internet. So okay. that's the way I view it is, in in my opinion, every time someone bans it and views it as a threat, which mind boggles me, but every time they, they view it as a threat, to me, all press is good press for crypto because that's only going to instigate either way. You, you call it a threat. There's going to be the people who are whatever anti-regime that are going to press forward on it. If if you call it something good and you support it, you're going to have all of the other people who support it in the world. So it's it's going to grow, whether Putin or Biden or Xi Jinping or whatever all these different leaders are, whether they want it to or not, it will grow. Yep. 
guaranteed. Yep. And so that's well, that's and why this whole thing is is always interesting to me is like what are they right. it's more interesting to see what they're going to try and do more so than what's going to happen in my opinion. Sure. No, 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 for sure. And and it it it's a great parallel to draw between crypto and the internet not because it's going to end up being as, you know, fundamentally game-changing for anyone in the world that can get their hands on it, right? Uh it could in certain places, don't get me wrong. By the um, way, I'm not but, talking about like web3 or whatever. I'm I'm, I'm no, just drawing I, I, the parallel to okay. <laughs> just yeah, making sure no, we're no, all clear. No, no, no. I am specifically pointing out that I think a big part of the reason that everything you just said is true and that I agree with it is the decentralization aspect. The internet, as we know it, could not, would not exist if it were not as decentralized as it is. And you can actually see situations in, in parts of the world where the lack of actual decentralization of the internet causes it to not function the way that the rest of us know it to function, right? You look at what China does. You look at what, what Turkey has done in the past. There are a number of countries that, that sort of act as gatekeepers to the entire infrastructure, and they can shut it down. Modern society is completely built on the internet. So if the decentralized you know, aspects of cryptocurrency do become sort of fundamentally available to the financial industries, it will change the way things function because of its decentralization. Yep, 100%. So so what do you think about the aspect of him wanting to limit it to certain uh, energy-rich areas? So they have a number of regions, Russia does, that have a surplus of electricity. And this is due to um, abundant supply. They have hydroelectric plants, right? Uh, sure, in certain areas sure. with, with massive abundant supplies. And then they've got some um, cities, some areas that were industrial facilities in the Soviet era, era that were extremely ener- energy intensive, but have now shut down. And so now they're, you know, the plants are just making so much electricity, it's not even being used. What, I think what if do you, you can't, think about the ability to, yeah, because I mean, it's literally. I think if you can't export running. it until we address how hungry uh, stuff like Bitcoin mining, really any proof of work mining activity, until yeah. until we address that elegantly, then it, it's it's reasonable. It's honestly, it's surprisingly like environmentally conscious of Putin, who I wouldn't have actually you know right. given any credit in that bucket. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it, exporting exporting electricity, especially uh, electricity as opposed to like pipelines, right? The the beauty of a pipeline is that you can move the raw material necessary to produce all of the the beneficial electricity elsewhere, uh, or heating gas. You know, obviously there are other things you can do with with uh, you know the petrochemical side of things. But it it is a an expensive in the sense of waste exercise to move electricity post produced at point A over long distances. Uh, wires are lossy. Think of it that way. Yeah. So restricting mining activities for, again, a very hungry solution right now to areas that have literal excess, because we, we can't, we cannot, we've talked about this before, you can't, we can't efficiently store electricity right now. Batteries just aren't there yet. So if they're overproducing, they're literally dumping it into the ground. And it's not wasteful in the sense of, of a hydroelectric because it's electricity that's being produced that we just can't use. Fine. Yeah. I, I don't care if yeah. Bitcoin eats uh, 100% of electricity that would otherwise have been grounded in Russia uh, or anywhere in the world. That's not yeah. that tough point out Russia. 
So I, I think that's, I think it's actually wise. I think it prevents uh, waste and it, it prevents, uh, you know, peaks being higher in um, areas that don't have the electricity produ production um, capacity to keep up with, you know, regular demand, let alone power plant eating, uh, you know, Bitcoin mining. So I don't know. I'm, I'm a fan, but I also have to drop. So that's my last thought. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it out, yeah, one, please. one last thing for you, though. Uh, so Russia is the third largest miner. The U.S. is number one. This is for Bitcoin specifically. Do you want to guess who number two is? Number two? China yeah, number two? two? Nope. Hmm. I'll guess for Tyler. Argentina number two. Bad guess, Tyler. Oh, he really thinking? did just drop. He just left. Yeah, <laughs> he did straight up. <laughs> it's Kazakhstan. I never would have guessed Wow. Uh, no, I wouldn't have either. I, what I will tell you is interesting about the Putin move. And I agree with Tyler's take on it. What I think is going to be interesting is to see what happens if, not saying this will happen, let's just pretend it does. What happens when region A with surplus of X amount causes a bunch of people in Russia to move to region A and then pushes, you know, the, the usage mm. of electricity to Y percent, do they then ban it yeah, in yeah. that city and make them move again? Or what is, what, what, what the plan to. looks like for that? Yeah. And that's what I was going to get to and how I interpreted it as like, you know, do you think it's a smart thing to try to, you know, limit mining into energy, you know, excess areas? Sure. Fine. Mm -hmm. Yes. Great. Whatever. But how do you enforce limiting mining to a certain region? That, that's something that I just, I never quite understood. Right. You know, you can, you can ban it in the sense of like, you know, Hey, um, you can't grow pot. Right. <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, they do FBI raids and um, they, they find it, but, it becomes this this you know forever cat and mouse game of people running computer like how how, how do they know right other than i guess yeah it's a, that's a good question or you know i think the intent who's, is who's this it's like you know I mean? look if you if you ban something in an area yeah 99% of people are going to follow the letter of the law you're then going to have the 1% of people who don't so i think that there's an effect that will be had in any, you know, I'm, I'm speaking the way I think about it. I don't know if it's different in yeah. Russia. Maybe every, maybe everyone's a criminal, but well, I think I, that, I think I'm that that, I think that that's the, yeah, I just think, I think that it will, just the ban itself will probably improve the power situation in those areas in general. And then, you know, if you're caught through whatever means they can do, like, hey, we just, we've seen a very consistent power output from this, you know, area someone may want to go look into it sort of thing yeah, yeah. and then they go and find out that they're you know growing marijuana and it takes a lot of power to do that and it's you know like who knows like i have no idea you know what it'll what it'll do but that's that you know maybe it's something like that um, but i get it it's a it's an interesting question to ask like how do you enforce some of the things and i do yeah. wonder how many rules are put in place even though they lack enforcement just to try to sort of coerce people into you know submission if you will like maybe they'll just yeah, do it because yeah. we made the rule i mean I'm, I'm probably that way i am a rule follower to the freaking t i mean i always have been since i was a kid so it's if you tell me that there's a rule to do something there's a very good chance that all like it's russ you need to sit in the corner for 20 minutes every day it's like okay cool i'll sit there for 22 just to be sure like that's <laughs> just the way i'm built yeah <laughs> right. uh let's awesome. see here i've got let's okay. go through one more thing before we close it down because okay I, it sort of boggles my mind. Um, 
in some respects, we were talking a little bit about um, this in the TBP community chat, where I think uh, Zook shared a comparison between the newest Intel CPU and the Mac M1s, and Intel was bragging about how it was faster, but the performance per watt was awful compared to the M1. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I firmly stand by my comment of use case for laptop matters. Um, maybe I'm biased because I will probably be buying that processor for a laptop this year, which will be explicitly used for gaming. Like that laptop will be used plugged in 99% of the time. You can make yeah. the uh, argument for heat um, as well, which I would certainly get behind. But nonetheless. Yeah, the, the, that, the uh the thing that was shared, uh, benchmarks mm -hmm. confirm Intel's latest core i9 chip outperforms Apple's M1 Max with several caveats. And then Zooks, if he doesn't mind me quoting him here, he just said, this is so laughable. Hopefully Intel has something actually competitive in the works. Maybe someday they'll figure out PPW, power per watt, is of a higher priority for 99.9% .9 of users. Uh, the, the ironic part there is that 99.9% .9 of users don't know what power per watt is. Sure. Uh, but I think what he means is, is that they care about things like battery life. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. Which is what, what, what you would get out of That's what they care about. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so what's interesting here, speaking of, you know, laptops that get incredibly good battery life because they've been based off ARM forever or, or Intel, but it's very low power Intel, is Chromebooks. So we've talked about Chromebooks before. I have Chromebooks. I bought one from them. I like them. They're super simple. They don't do a whole lot. I mean, they're less functional than even a phone. But for just browsing the internet, checking email, great little device. And apparently, the Chromebooks that are gaming focused are in the works, which what? blows my mind. Um, that's like I don't uh, know what this like looks like. Or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just a so. It, it says Steam on Chrome OS could soon become a reality. Now, what I will say is this. Steam has something called Proton. And Proton is a compatibility layer to let Windows games run on Linux, which that is what Chromebooks are. They're just a Linux computer with a desktop environment that Google puts on top of it. So if you had a Chromebook that had good enough power, or maybe even you just have low requirements for certain games and the Chromebooks meet those requirements, Steam on there would immediately allow games to run pseudo-natively on the platform. So I'm curious to see what is actually in the works because they don't give any details as to like what specs people are, you know, putting into this or, or anything like that. Just the fact though that they're saying gaming-focused Chromebooks are in the work is crazy but what's re what's what's even more funny is that if this comes to fruition and they release chromebooks that have decent specs to run games that will actually make chromebooks a more viable alternative for gaming than mac because proton doesn't work on mac and so there's always this right. weird compatibility problem for games on macs even though in my opinion, the M1s are strong enough that more games should be made for it. But, you know, I'm extremely biased towards availability of games, probably. So <clears throat> the uh, the funny thing is, is to think of a Chromebook as a better gaming alternative to like an M1 Mac just because it will have Proton, which I, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I, I'm, on, I'm honestly serious when I say 
there's like a 90% chance that your game from Windows will run on Linux with Proton mm. without you doing anything. Like that's how good Proton has gotten. And if people are curious as to why Valve does this, they've had a few different Linux gaming tries in the past. And the, uh, but they've recently said that they're going to release that, that like switch like gaming PC. You guys have, we've talked yeah. about it. I've, I've pre-ordered it. That's running steam OS, which is just a Linux distribution for gaming. So they are selling a retail product to run games on Linux natively. And Proton is what does all of it. They've even got yeah. to the point to where Proton will run easy anti-cheat and battle eye, which are two of the most common anti-cheat programs on PC that are used like third-party anti-cheat programs. Yeah. And for years, whenever you would use something called wine, which is what Proton is based off of to run games, it was, it was always a mess. It rarely worked. You couldn't do anything multiplayer that had anti-cheat because it just straight up wouldn't work. And so it's pretty interesting. I mean, developers still have to test and sort of confirm their games work on Proton, but they don't have to develop anything specific for Proton nine times out of 10. And so yeah. it's just a, it's a pretty remarkable thing to see how far Linux gaming has come. Now, granted, in my personal opinion, and I use, look, let me give you an indication. I use Linux every single day, not for work, like my personal life. I use it every day. And I'm not talking about Android. I'm talking about my personal computer. And I obviously am a big gamer. I personally could not switch to Linux for gaming for a couple reasons. Um, one of which is some of those anti-cheat things are still problematic because I use kernel-level anti-cheat for uh, Counter-Strike specifically. However, the other one is, is because there's a lot of other things that go into gaming, which you know most people wouldn't care about. When I say most, I'll use the 99.9% .9 we're talking about in a couple other scenarios here. Don't care yeah. about, but I, I distinctly do. Like I have this crazy good Alienware monitor, courtesy of Dell, and it is a it has G-Sync on it, which means I can sync my frames to from my monitor to my GPU to where they're exactly one-to-one. -one. So there's no screen tearing. It responds perfectly, does all this stuff. And there's no way to control that on Linux. I would uh, never give that up to switch to Linux. So there's 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 other yeah. stuff like ecosystem related is stuff. It's pretty uh, disruptive. Yeah, it drives me crazy, especially since I've had it solved for several years now. And so it's like there's other stuff outside of like just Linux and game compatibility that are problems for me. But for most people, probably not problems. So I mean, I've I pre-ordered the Steam Deck. I'll, I'll let you guys know how it goes. Um, there's some other open source stuff out there that is compatible with AMD's that can kind of emulate some of this stuff. I'm going to try it all and, you know, we'll talk through it. But yeah, very interesting to see that Chromebooks are going to be <laughs> gaming Chromebooks. Well, and I, I suspect they're going to be terrible personally, but yeah. it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, probably. Probably early on. I don't expect a lot of success there. Um, yeah. And I actually found the the, uh, the stats here in the, in the article that Zook was sharing with the Intel versus the M1. The, um, the i9 multi-core score was 12,707. The M1 was 12,244, right? So the Intel is 4% faster. Yeah. However, synthetic test, the, by the way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is, they were very, it's a, it's a specific benchmark that they do anyway. Right. And then the, uh, the wattage on the I9 was consistently in the hundred watt range with uh, spikes to 140. The M1 max power draw was around 40 watts. Yeah. That's which, you know, what's interesting there? <laughs> You know, yeah. what's interesting is that the AMD line, so like there's a, um, there's a 
14 inch gaming laptop from Asus. And just for those who aren't familiar with it, that is a very small gaming laptop. Usually you're looking at 15 to 17 inches. All of mine have ever, I've ever been like 15.6 inch gaming laptops for reference. Um, obviously more space, easier to dissipate heat. There's actually a gaming laptop from Asus that has an AMD in it. In fact, I think um, there's one for Razer as well. That has the eight core, 16 thread, 35 watt x86 CPU from AMD in there. And it's been in there for like three or four years now. Um, and so that, and that performance, by the way, smokes most of the Intel's or is very similar to it. Like this 12, this 12th gen also beats it. But once again, performance per watt, especially for these smaller notebooks, maybe you're on the go, not necessarily playing games on the go, but you might, you know, use it for other, other purposes if you have a 14 inch laptop. But the, uh, it's interesting that I'd like to see the comparison to the AMDs. If we want to talk perform performance per watt and, and, yeah. and what can be done on the system, the AMDs are solid. Like people have been begging for the AMD CPUs and all of these high-end laptops for a while now because they're so much better performance per watt. And in most cases, they for the last two years, until this 12th gen came out, they were actually better performance in almost all scenarios. And so it's interesting to see that compared to an ARM CPU, an x86 CPU actually can perform very similarly, both in overall performance as well as performance per watt. And uh, that's so it, it, that's one I think that should be compared to. Obviously, I think Intel or someone compared themselves to the M1. But uh, I'd like to see AMD's kind of play here. Although I will say that ASUS, I think, explicitly took a 45-watt CPU, obviously similar, but took a 45-watt CPU and took a higher binning version of it to run it at 35 watts. So they got like a special line of CPUs that were higher binned. But... Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, it means it can be done. So it would be interesting nice. to see. But yeah, I mean, performance per watt, definitely important um, just in general. Uh, but the uh, the users don't know it, but they definitely appreciate it when they have it. And most gaming laptops are plugged in all the time. And I'm probably going to have that 12th gen Bitcoin sipping level of energy laptop here uh, pretty soon. That's that's what I think is probably going to happen. Uh, what's right, funny is most things have a major GPU in them that are pulling even more. Um, yeah. You know, just is what it is. But yes, um, we do need to go. shut it down. I'll go ahead and shut it down for us just so that we can we can get this this thing rolling. Um, that's going to do it for another episode of the Tech Breakfast Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining. Um, thank you for leaving, Tyler. That was that was wonderful. We appreciate you. And uh, until next time, we'll see you later. Peace. Got him. <laughs> later. <laughs> later.